Story two Chapter seven and eight of Freaks on the Fells. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Freaks on the Fells by R. M. Ballantyne. Story two Chapter seven i have often found from experience that the more one tries to collect one's thoughts the more one's thoughts pertinaciously scatter themselves abroad almost beyond the possibility of discovery such was the case with me after escaping from the sea and the sharks as related circumstantially in the last chapter perhaps the truth of this may be best illustrated by laying before my readers the dialogue that ensued between me and jack on the momentous occasion referred to as follows i say bob where in all the world have we got to upon my word i don't know it's very mysterious what's very mysterious where we've got to uh, can't you guess certainly suppose i say lapland jack shaking his head uh, won't do why cause there are no palm trees in lapland dear me that's true how confused my head is i'll tell you what it is jack i can't think that's it that's the cause of the mystery that seems to beset me i can't tell how and then i've been ill that's it too how can there be two causes for one effect bob you're talking stuff man if i couldn't talk better sense than that i'd not talk at all then why don't you hold your tongue i tell you what it is jack we're bewitched you said i was mad some time ago you were right so i am so are you there are too many mysteries here for any two sane men here jack murmured we weren't men but boys there's the running away and not being caught the ship ready to sail the moment we arrive there's your joining me after all your good advice there's that horrible fight and the lions and edwards and the sinking of our ship and the the in short i feel that i'm mad still i'm not recovered yet here jack take care of me instead of replying to this jack busied himself in fitting a piece of wood he had picked up to his wooden leg and lashing it firmly to the old stump when he had accomplished his task he turned gravely to me and said bob your faculties are wandering pretty wildly to-day but you've not yet hit upon the cause of all our misfortunes the true cause is that you have disobeyed your father and i my mother i hung my head i had now no longer difficulty in collecting my thoughts they circled round that point until i thought that remorse would have killed me then suddenly i turned with a look of gladness to my friend but you forget the letter we are forgiven true cried jack with a cheerful expression we can face our fate without assurance come let us strike into the country and discover where we are i'll manage to hop along pretty well with my wooden leg we'll get home as soon as we can by land if not by water and then we'll remain at home won't we bob remain at home i cried ay that will we i've had more than enough of foreign experiences already oh jack jack it's little i care for the sufferings i have endured but your leg jack willingly most willingly my dear friend would i part with my own if by so doing i could replace yours jack took my hand and squeezed it oh it's gone now bob he said sadly 
I must just make the most of the one that's left. Tis a pity that the one that's left is only the left one. So saying, he turned his back to the sea, and, still retaining my hand in his, led me into the forest. But here unthought of trouble awaited us at the very outset of our wanderings. The ground which we first encountered was soft and swampy, so that I sank above the ankles at every step. In these circumstances, as might have been expected, poor Jack's wooden leg was totally useless. The first step he took after entering the jungle, his leg penetrated the soft ground to the depth of nine or ten inches, and at the second step it disappeared altogether, insomuch that he could by no means put it out. I say, Bob, said he, with a rueful expression of countenance, I'm in a real fix now, and no mistake. Come to anchor prematurely. I resolved to stick at nothing, and here I have stuck in the first step. What is to be done? Jack's right leg being deep in the ground, it followed, as a physical consequence, that his left leg was bent as if he were in a sitting posture. Observing this fact, just as he made the above remark, he placed his both hands on his left knee, rested his chin on his hands, and gazed meditatively at the ground. The action tickled me so much that I gave a short laugh. Jack looked up and laughed too, whereupon we both burst incontinently in an uproarious fit of laughter, which might have continued ever so long had not Jack, in the fullness of his mirth, given his fixed leg a twist that caused it to crack. Hello, Bob, he cried, suddenly becoming very grave. I say, this won't do, you know. If I break it off short, you'll have to carry me, my boy. So it behooves me to be careful. What is to be done? Come, I'll help you pull it out. Oh, that's not what troubles me. But after we get it out, what's to be done? Jack, said I, seriously, one thing at a time. When we get you out, then it will be time enough to inquire what to do next. That sound philosophy, Bob. Where did you pick it up? I suspect you must have been studying Shakespeare of late on the sly. But come, get behind me and put your hands under my arms and heave. I'll shove with my sound limb. Now let us act together. Stay. Bob, we've been long enough aboard ship to know the value of a song in producing a unity of action. Take the tune from me. Suiting the action to the word, Jack gave forth, at the top of his voice, one or two of those peculiarly nautical howls wherewith seamen are wont to constrain windlasses and capstans to creak, and anchors to let go their hold. Now then, heave away, my hearties! Yo heave! Yo hoy! At the last word, we both strained with all our might. I heard Jack's braces burst with the effort. We both became purple in the face, but the leg remained immovable. With a loud simultaneous sigh we relaxed, and looking at each other groaned slightly. Come, come, Bob, never say die. One trial more. It was the braces that spoiled at that time. Now then, cheerily ho, my hearties. Heave yo! Heave hoy! The united force applied this time was so great that we tore asunder all the fastenings of the leg at one wrench, and Jack and I suddenly shot straight up as if we had been discharged from a hole in the ground. Losing our balance, we fell over each other on our backs, the wooden leg remaining hard and fast in the ground. Ah, Jack, 
said I, sorrowfully, as I rubbed the mud of my garments. If we had remained at home, this would not have happened. If we had remained at home, returned Jack, rather gruffly, as he hopped towards his leg. Nothing would have happened. Come, Bob, lay hold of it. Out it shall come, if the inside of the world should come along with it. There now, heave! This time we gave vent to no shout, but we hove with such a will that Jack split his jacket from the waist to the neck, and the leg came out with a crack that resembled the drawing of the largest possible cork out of the biggest conceivable bottle. Having accomplished this feat, we congratulated each other, and then sat down to repair damages. This was not an easy matter. It cost us no little thought to invent some contrivance that would prevent the leg from sinking, but at last we thought of a plan. We cut a square piece of bark off a tree, the outer rind of which was peculiarly tough and thick. In the centre of this we scooped a hole and inserted therein the end of the leg, fastening it thereto with pieces of twine that we chanced to have in our pockets. Thus we made, as it were, an artificial foot, which when Jack tried it served its purpose admirably. Indeed, it acted too well, for being a broad base it did not permit the wooden leg to sink at all, while the natural leg did sink more or less and as the wooden limb had no knee it was stiff from hip to heel and could not bend so that i had to walk behind my poor comrade and when i observed him get somewhat into the position of the leaning tower of pisa i sprang forward and supported him thus we proceeded slowly through the forest stumbling frequently tumbling occasionally and staggering oft but strange to say without either of us having any very definite idea of where we were going or what we expected to find or why we went in one direction more than another. In fact, we proceeded on that eminently simple principle which is couched in the well-known and time-honoured phrase, follow your nose. True, once I ventured to ask my companion where he thought we were going, to which he replied, much to my surprise, that he didn't know and didn't care, that it was quite certain if we did not go forward we could not expect to get on, and that in the ordinary course of things, if we proceeded, we should undoubtedly come to something to this i replied in a meditative tone that there was much truth in the observation and that at any rate if we did not come to something something would certainly come to us but we did not pursue the subject in fact we were too much taken up with the interesting and amusing sights that met our gaze in that singular forest insomuch that on several occasions i neglected my peculiar duty of watching jack and was only made aware of my carelessness by hearing him shout hello bob look alive i'm over when i would suddenly drop my eyes from the contemplation of the plumage of a parrot or the antics of a monkey to behold my friend leaning over at an angle of forty-five to leap forward and catch him in my arms was the work of an instant on each of these occasions after setting him upright i used to give him a tender hug to indicate my regret at having been so inattentive and my sympathy with him in his calamitous circumstances poor jack was very gentle and uncomplaining he even made light of his misfortune and laughed a good deal at himself but i could see nevertheless that his spirits were at times deeply affected in spite of his brave efforts to bear up and appear gay and cheerful end of story two chapter seven Story two, chapter eight. It was evening when we were cast ashore in this new country, so that we had not advanced far into the forest before night closed in and compelled us to halt. 
for had we continued our journey in the dark we should certainly have been drowned in one of the many deep morasses which abounded there and which we had found it difficult to steer clear of even in daylight as the moon arose and the stars began to glimmer in the sky i observed to my dismay that all kinds of noxious creatures and creeping things began to move about and strange hissing sounds and low dismal hootings and wails were heard at times indistinctly as if the place were the abode of evil spirits who were about to wake up to indulge in their midnight orgies oh jack said i shuddering violently as i stopped and seized my companion by the arm i can't tell what it is that fills me with an unaccountable sensation of dread i i feel as if we should never more get out of this horrible swamp or see again the blessed light of day see see what horrid creature is that pooh man interrupted jack with a degree of levity in his tone which surprised me much it's only a serpent all these kinds of things are regular cowards only let them alone and they're sure to let you alone i should like above all things to tickle up one of these brutes and let him have a bite at my wooden toe it would be rare fun wouldn't it bob eh come let us push on and see that you keep me straight old fellow i made no reply for some time i was horrified at my comrade's levity in such circumstances then as i heard him continue to chuckle and remark in an undertone on the surprise the serpent would get on discovering the exceeding toughness of his toe it for the first time flashed across my mind that his sufferings had deranged my dear companion's intellect the bare probability of such a dreadful calamity was sufficient to put to flight all my previous terrors i now cared nothing whatever for the loathsome reptiles that wallowed in the swamps around me and the quiet glidings and swelterings of whose hideous forms were distinctly audible in the stillness of approaching night my whole anxiety was centred on jack i thought that if i could prevail on him to rest he might recover and proposed that we should encamp but he would not hear of this he kept plunging on staggering through brake and swamp reedy pond and quaking morass until i felt myself utterly unable to follow him a step farther just at this point jack stopped abruptly and said bob my boy we'll camp here it was a fearful spot dark dismal and not a square foot of dry ground here jack i here but it's it's all wet excuse me my dear comrade i've not yet acquired the habit of sleeping in water no more have i bob we shall sleep on a fallen tree my boy did you never hear of men sleeping in a swamp on the top of a log it's often done i assure you and i mean to do it to-night see here is a good large one three feet broad by twenty feet long with lots of stumps of broken branches to keep us from rolling off come let's begin we immediately began to make our arrangements for the night with the aid of our clasp knives we cut a quantity of leafy branches and spread them on the trunk of a huge prostrated tree the half of which was sunk in the swamp but the other half was sufficiently elevated to raise us well out of the water the bed was more comfortable than one would suppose and being very tired we lay down on it as soon as it was made and tried to sleep having nothing to eat we thought it well to endeavour to obtain all the refreshment we could out of sleep we had not lain long when i started up in a fright and cried hallo jack what's that 
see through the reeds it creeps slowly oh horror it comes towards us jack looks at it sleepily it's an alligator said he if it approaches too close just wake me but pray don't keep howling at everything that comes to peep at us just at that moment the hideous reptile drew near and opening its jaws let them come together with a snap even jack was not proof against this he started up and looked about for a defensive weapon we had nothing but our clasp knives the alligator wallowed towards us oh for an axe gasped jack the brute was within a few yards of us now i was transfixed with horror suddenly an idea occurred to me your leg jack your leg he understood me one sweep of his clasp knife cut all the fastenings the next moment he grasped the toe in both hands and swaying the heavy butt of the limb in the air brought it down with all his force on the skull of the alligator it rang like the sound of a blow on an empty cask again the limb was swayed aloft and descended with extraordinary violence on the extreme point of the alligator's snout there was a loud crash as if of small bones being driven in the animal paused put its head on one side and turning slowly round waddled away into the noisome recesses of its native swamp scarcely had we recovered from the effects of this when we heard in the distance shouts and yells and the barking of dogs crouching in our nest we listened intently the sounds approached but while those who made them were yet at some distance we were startled by the sudden approach of a dark object running at full speed it seemed like a man or rather a huge ape for it was black and as it came tearing towards us running on its hind legs we could see its eyes glaring in the moonlight and could hear its labouring breath it was evidently hard pressed by its pursuers for it did not see what lay before it and had well nigh run over our couch ere it observed jack standing on one leg with the other limb raised in a threatening attitude above his head it was too late to turn to avoid the blow uttering a terrible cry the creature fell on its knees and trembling violently cried oh massa oh massa spare me me no run away again mercy massa mercy silence you noisy villain cried jack seizing the negro by the hair of the head yes massa gasped the man while his teeth chattered and the whites of his eyes rolled fearfully what are you where do you come from who's after ye to these abrupt questions the poor negro replied as briefly that he was a runaway slave and that his master and bloodhounds were after him we had guessed as much and the deep baying of the hounds convinced us of the truth of his statement quick cried jack dragging the black to the edge of our log get under there life lot keep still so saying he thrust the negro under the branches that formed our couch we covered him well up and then sat down on him before we had well finished our task the foremost of the bloodhounds came bounding towards us with its eyeballs glaring and its white fangs glittering in the dim light like glow-worms in a blood-red cavern it made straight for the spot where the negro was concealed and would have seized him in another instance had not jack with one blow of his leg beaten its skull shove him out of sight bob i seized the dead hound and obeyed while my comrade prepared to receive the second dog but that animal seemed more timid it swerved as the blow was delivered received on its haunches and fled away howling in another direction 
jack at once laid down his leg and sat down on the negro motioning me to do the same then pulling an old tobacco pipe out of his pocket he affected to be calmly employed in filling it when the pursuers came up there were two of them in straw hats and nankeen pantaloons armed with cudgels and a more ruffianly pair of villains i never saw before or since hello strangers cried one as they halted for a few moments on observing us queer place to camp fond of water and dirt i guess you seem fond of dirt and not of water to judge from your faces replied jack calmly attempting to light his pipe which was rather a difficult operation seeing that it was empty and he had no fire oh my light's out could you lend us a match friend no we can't no time ain't got none did you see a nigger pass this way ah you're after him are you cried jack indignantly do you suppose i'd tell you if i did go and find him yourselves the two men frowned fiercely at this and appeared about to attack us but they changed their minds and said mayhap you'll tell us if you saw two hounds then uh, yes i did which way did they pass they haven't passed yet replied jack with deep sarcasm at the same time quietly lifting his leg and swaying it gently to and fro whether they'll pass without a lickin remains to be seen look ye lads we'll pay you for this shouted the men as they turned away we've not time to waste but we'll come back i remonstrated with my friend you're too rash jack why we don't need to fear two men ay but there may be more in the woods my surmise was correct half an hour after the hound was heard returning it came straight at us followed by at least a dozen men jack killed the dog with one blow and felled the first man that came up but we were overwhelmed by numbers and in a much shorter time than it takes to tell it both of us were knocked into the mud and rendered insensible end of story two chapter eight